You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to 3 a.m. 3 a.m. 3 a.m where we discuss and dissect the supernatural. What's the scariest thing you've encountered? That's been one of our favorite questions for years. 3 a.m. is the result of asking this question over and over again. Stories we share are typically sourced from those we know, our listeners, or personal experience, the validity of which can be determined by you, the listener. While we might not have all the answers, we find the culture and lore surrounding paranormal events and unnatural occurrences fascinating. We hope you enjoy. We hope you enjoy. We hope you enjoy. Yo, what's up? It's the 3M Podcast. My name is Charlie. My name is DJ. (laughs) My name is Sean. We're a group of friends. We tell jokes, stories, and spooky things. How are you guys doing? Good. Samsung has a new waifu. (gasps) Did you see that? Actually, wait. I think I did. (laughs) So Apple has Siri, right? You're... Samsung has their own whatever version, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, Steve or some shit. They were like, (laughs) "We got to do something about this." So they they created some type of uh, like anime assistant, (gasps) and they made her really attractive. Enablers, dude. Yeah, (laughs) dude. Um, It's uh, yeah. I think an hour after they announced it. Like there were subreddits of like oh, n- naughty shit. drawings yeah. oh my of, gosh. of this. Uh, you can get a mod where she's topless already. Yeah, it's so it's so crazy. Um, but I've been good. <laughs> You've been real busy. Yeah, I see. <laughs> DJ has a Samsung phone. <laughs> Whoa! When did you get a Samsung? Green dude? bubbles now in the chat. <laughs> you know, dude. Yeah, I'd rather, have, I'd rather have Corona. <laughs> uh, we're doing really well tonight. It's a full house in the studio. We have young Kalima on the ones and twos, and we have Miranda and Willow, friends of the pod and editor. Yeah, yeah. As always, if you want to skip the banter, go straight to the stories. There should be a timestamp in the description. Go ahead and leave us. Leave us alone. We think you're wrong and we hate you. (laughs) (laughs) Um. We, did you guys see that we got a one-star review? <laughs> no, dude, I don't check that shit every day. <laughs> no, <dude. laughs> I don't check it all. It's not even possible. Minute. Somebody, uh, and it's not our first. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> and that's fine, I guess. <laughs> but they were like, I'm not, 
I'm not uh, listening to a podcast where I have to pay for the stories. <laughs> one star. Yeah, one star. Brought us down from five to 4.7 or something. Yeah, yeah. Was like, our overall rating. Um, um, in their defense, the way we uh, ask for money is is a little like scummy. Oh, hell yeah, bro. <laughs> Just a little bit. The reason know? we do that is because Mysterious Universe does something similar, and every time they do it, I want to crack my phone in half. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. At the same time, I got to eat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're poor. Yeah. We're broke as yeah. We're trying to make some something cool out here. Yeah. We're literally asking for two dollars. <laughs> you know, um, you think people are just mad because they think it's four quarters and it's actually eight, bro? Maybe. Somebody commented that. <laughs> yeah, I know. it's like an inside joke now, but really, it's just Sean. Dude, it's four knowing. quarters, right, bro? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I get it. I understand the like, way we do it. Scummy. Yeah, I would be mad to like show up to a free movie and then halfway through they're like, "Okay, to watch the rest, you got to pay." Yeah, but, but my, we also oh, give you like. Three free movies as well. Yeah. <laughs> before, like three free stories and then one you got to pay for. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I understand. Anytime I come up to a paywall, I get pissed. And like on my phone, if an app costs $1, I'm like burning hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but mean, meanwhile, I'll buy a smart water every time I'm at the gas station. It's like $7. <laughs> it's like 800% markup yes! <laughs> on a regular Arrowhead. It's like Arrowhead. Uh-huh. Is dog shit. It's like diet milk. <laughs> yeah, it's gross. One percent. No, it's a. Uh, I get it. For some reason, on the internet and in digital, in the digital arena, it's like no one wants to pay anything. So I get it. But I mean, you, if you want to pirate our Patreon, then yeah, go, go for, for it. it dude. You can figure it out. <laughs> no, I did see that. And it's fine. It's whatever. Yeah. Moving on, <laughs> bro. It's uh, shout out my gaze. Oh yeah, it's Pride Month. <laughs> Where my gaze at, dude? Someone got mad at me because I said the gays or the my gays. It's like I don't get, I don't know. Is that offensive? Is that offensive? You I'm down us. with the gays, dude. Don't know, yeah, as yeah, a I was say, like <laughs> residential gays over <laughs> yeah. here. Yeah, I'm not offended. There we go. <laughs> got the cosign. That's all that matters. No, but uh, I think it is a little sleazy how uh, corporations be like super pride for one month. And then, like, in the Middle East, none of them rep that shit. <laughs> I, saw, I saw a meme because a lot of corporate uh, social media accounts have, like, like for example, like, the Mercedes-Benz account. They'll have a Mercedes-Benz Middle East or a Mercedes-Benz Russia or Argentina, you know, account. And there was a, not really a meme, but a graphic of all of the corporations and all of their like foreign accounts, and only in the U.S. account, their profile picture is like the rainbow. Yeah, but with, in everywhere else, everywhere else is logo. Uh, the logo is normal. Yeah, because uh, like LGBTQIA plus rights are not accepted there. <laughs> yeah, so they got to keep their money there. Yeah, you know Disney's not waving that rainbow flag in China. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, it's uh, it's really gross. And you have the argument where people are like. Well, we we have to, you know, start somewhere or start with your wallet. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Three a.m. Uh, gay friendly through and through. Any any nation, bro. Are we yeah. changing our logo? Yeah. Dude? yeah. Like, <laughs> no, that's too much work. But I'll say it verbally. You know, uh, I don't know how, but I moved to Utah, and for eight years we moved around to like six different apartments. Every apartment, the first one I started in, we got a rainbow flag and we put it up. Oh yeah. I don't know who specifically, and I don't know why, but every time we moved, that rainbow flag moved with us and got put up at some point in our house. And it's like, so people will walk in and they'd be like, uh, and I'd be like, yeah, 
We've been supporting since day one. Uh, honestly, dude. <laughs> I remember flying that behind us while like we DJ. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. I don't even know why. And we weren't trying to be funny. It's just like it came with us. Yeah. <laughs> we hung it up. I don't know why. I don't know. You you tell me, listener. <laughs> <laughs> just leave us another one-star review and tell us. Dude, uh, not gracefully moving on. <laughs> My dog started her period. Did you know animals could have periods? No freaking way. <laughs> I, I didn't. Yeah, I know. I told DJ that no. today on the phone. He was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't, I didn't know it was. It's the first time I had ever. I, I know that. Women are not animals, okay? <laughs> They're beautiful. Men are. <laughs> Men are dogs. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Dogs, women, animals. <laughs> uh, no, this this blew my mind. I don't. Well, we, I never had pets growing up. You was ate, I supposed you to know that them? without? <laughs> <laughs> With like the eight ethnicities that I am, we like eat every house pet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Filipinos, uh, dogs, Chinese, Chinese cats, and bats, and, t- and <laughs> Tongans, horses, yeah. like. and Hawaiians, humans. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you got it all covered. You are you are the food chain, dude. We are the I am the alpha yeah, and the omega, and the omega <laughs> dude. Anyway, so she's bleeding like full on. My dog is becoming a woman, and I'm very proud of her. And I never thought I'd say this, <laughs> but yeah, dogs go into heat, females, and uh, it's like different than a woman's in that it's like once or twice a year, and it lasts like a couple weeks, like two or three weeks. So, yeah, we have to do a lot of extra stuff, and it's like having a puppy again, and she's wearing diapers. But I'm proud of her. She's becoming a, a beautiful woman. So there's doggy diapers? Bro. And my wife got the, like, she got the fashionable ones, so they're pink with paws on them. <laughs> <laughs> there's, like, the generic brand, and she went out for the fashionable ones. Yeah, yeah it's like huggies. <laughs> yeah. Um, are there, like, pads and tampons for dogs? No tampons. No one's doing that. Um <laughs> But uh, I told you, this is all news to me. <laughs> Don't worry, bro. Don't be embarrassed. I'm going to out him right now. I told that to Reed, and Reed goes, is it bad that I had no idea that was a thing until oh, right now? Thank you, Reed. <laughs> and Reed's like one of the smartest people I know, so you're fine. <laughs> uh, no, a lot of people take like... Just not me. Yeah, no, not, no, no. <laughs> no I'm just kidding. Uh, a lot of people take little boy underwear and flip it around. Because you know how like boy underwear have the hole for your wee-wee? Yeah. So they flip it around, put their tail through that, and then put like a maxi pad in there. Like that's what a lot of people use. Yeah. The, okay, so... A huge reason why you probably don't know this is um, generally in the past, people got their dogs neutered at like six months, no matter what. That was just like how you did it. And veterinarians were like, yeah, that's how you do it. But then a 15-year-long study at UC Davis got completed, and they tested when you should actually neuter your dogs, and it like came out last year. And so everyone now is like finding out, oh, you should let your dog go through one to two heat. And if you do that, it really helps them avoid issues with cancer and a lot of like um, ligament, leg, like joint hip, problems. Hip display, joint problems. That's what, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, we are trying to do that. So, my life is full of. What the f? Birds. <laughs> Dude, yeah. those, are, those are birds. Nature. Yeah, nature. It's a Disney movie up in here. How, how should I finish that sentence so it's not awkward? Uh, full of uh, blood and, and fun. Uh, I'm proud of her. <laughs> yeah. I really am. I don't know what to tell you. You think you guys will breed? Hell no. No? No, nah, not with it. Not trying to get money? 
not trying to melt. Oh, your actually, dog for I think money. when we bought, they were like, you're not allowed to. Uh, There's like some. You didn't buy the breeding right. Yeah, I'm not doing that. But, but anyway, no, that's me and my Dude, bleeding dog. Pets are expensive. Yeah, how much did you pay for your dog? A lot. I think twelve hundred. That's like on the lower end too. I feel like it is for Utah. People are lower for, mid end because we got a really nice golden retriever. Shout out Lucy, she's the man. Uh, but I have a buddy on the East Coast, like near San Francisco. They're looking for a golden retriever. And West people are Coast. Asking, my bad. West Coast near San Francisco, and they're looking, and they're it's like four three thousand dollars, four thousand dollars five thousand for a puppy. My homie who does the Utah Golden Doodle, Utah Golden Doodles, they'll sell like their pick of the litter for like five Gs. Same as uh, I have a buddy in San Diego who sells uh, Frenchies, breeds them all for, and sells them for at least four. Dude, for stacks each. Wild. Wild. Yeah, should have bought the breeding rights, dude. I should have. But my, my dog legit like its grandpa was a show dog. It has all this pedigree shit that came with it. It's like good stock. That's Aryan, bro. <laughs> yes. That's super white, white How, race shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's also uh, very white to watch like show dogs. What is that? We uh, I went to my <laughs> girlfriend's family's house for Thanksgiving. That's what we did for half the day. We watched show dogs. It was the I first mean, time I'd ever watched entertaining, it. Was, oh, yeah, Sean was there. <laughs> and uh, I was like, this is dumb. <laughs> Like, literally just old white people taking their uh, manicured dogs through. I was starting to root for some of them, dude. Exactly. After like, 20 that minutes. That one's kind of dope. I was, I was all about the shit, too. <laughs> you know? That's so funny. Um, I get it. <laughs> Speaking of animals, did y'all see that video of the bear and that woman fight? Yeah. With the dogs? Yes. Where was that? I don't know. It looked like. Maybe LA California. or some shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, dude, it's probably in California. Dude, uh, she goes hard at that bear, too. Do you want to play it real quick? Sure. Are you able to do that transition? Kalima's going to throw it up for us. You want to pull that up, Kalima? Okay. Hey, yo. So you guys have seen this? Yeah. All right, might as well just play it. This was trending on, like, all platforms. Because it's wild. Yeah. This dumbass dude, song. nature is metal. No, 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 no. He gets dude, one of the dogs. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> All right, so those who are just listening, there's a huge brown bear on like a cinder block wall. It straight up looks like Nevada or Arizona or something. Mm-hmm. And it's with two cubs and the dogs run out and they're like barking at it. And it's a big ass bear like swiping at these little dogs. And some old broad in a freaking <laughs> moo-moo just comes sprinting out of the back door and shoves the bear over the just fence. She attacks up. the bear. It's like <laughs> one mama bear versus another because it's like her dogs, you know? Honestly, it's dude, the bear like, was about ready to snag one of the dogs. It yeah. like had one of them when she came out swinging. Yeah. It's flying chunkla energy. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, let's hit Sean's last thing, and then we'll go into stories. The thing you added, samples, bro. I don't, oh, dude, Costco's bringing back its free samples, bro. <laughs> dun, 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 Pandemic dun, is over. We made it. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I, I, that was what we were doing like before recording. This is how broke we are. DJ and I, for the first year of producing the podcast, like me and him were in and out of jobs and things. <laughs> and so when we'd get together to like work on the podcast once a week, he'd come to my house and we'd go to Costco and just destroy. We'd do a tour of samples. Toured to Costco? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we'd come back and work on the podcast. But 
that was like the last time thing society was like normal. Yeah, for real. Earth, they started Earth like is healing. They like started having the setup, but they would just show you the box and be like, buy buy this. I've never wanted no. to hit a sixty five year old lady <laughs> until they were showing me the taquito and they were and I was like, Can I have one? And they were like, Actually, it's just for show. I was like, Wow. Or they would like have one made up and it's just like <laughs> sitting there. Like, can I have a flapjack? No. Yeah. This is just for show. It's like, dude, what's the what's the what's the point? It pissed me off. <laughs> no, but the fact that samples are coming back, I know people were like, when Biden gets in the office, like everything's gonna go back to normal. No, no, no. Didn't feel like that. But now that Costco has its samples <laughs> back, I finally feel like normalcy is coming back at home. Yeah. Well, Shout good. out Costco. Let's get to it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Now we roll our twenty sided die. See who goes first. Highest goes first. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. I have benefited from therapy in a way that it's allowed me to feel a lot more light, lightness in my heart, my head my emotions, if that's something that you're needing, if that's something that's missing, uh, give therapy a try. Give BetterHelp a try. Uh, We want to hook you up um, by getting it off your chest Uh, and it be a little lighter on the wallet. Uh, Go ahead and visit betterhelp.com slash 3am and you can get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 3 a.m. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Eight, eleven, five. So the order is Charles, me, Sean. All right, guys. Tonight, I'm going to be talking about something I saw recently in the news. And I kind of went to find more of the backstory. So... Did you guys, either of you, see anything about Canada and a boarding school recently in the news? Yes. Okay. So hold off for a second on that. No, I've uh, I've seen all the headlines, and I haven't been prepared. Like, I wasn't prepared at the time to read any of them, so I saved them, just haven't gotten around to them. Okay. Heavy. Heavy. Very heavy. Um, I'm, I'm going to save that for the end, so... What I want to talk about today is Native American boarding schools in U.S. history and what that was like. So it began in 1860 when the Bureau of Indian Affairs established the first Indian boarding school on the Yakima Indian Reservation in the state of Washington. This goes back a really long time. Um, Real quick, just to give some, I need to shout out my sources real quick. I got... Some of this from CBS News, some of this from nativepartnerships.org, which is an unsecure website. They need to secure that. 
They encrypt could, that. Couldn't secure their land. Couldn't secure their land. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> that might be too dark. Uh, a video done by now this YouTube video, a Vox documentary, and a like couple of things, Wikipedia. So I, I tried looking, and I really wanted to understand the history of Native American boarding schools in the U.S. A lot of mixed feelings, most negative, and in my opinion, very rightly so. So it began way back in the day, and it was disguised as a tool to assimilate, assimilate the Native American people. The goal was for Native American children to accept white men's belief and value system. By the 1800s, the U.S. operated 60 schools for 6,200 Indian students, including reservation day schools and reservation boarding schools. So it, it started with this one guy named Colonel Richard Henry Pratt. He was in the war, and he had prisoners of war that were Native American. And he didn't really have permission, but he was like, I'm going to do an experiment on these savages. And I'm gonna, I might be using language that today is not okay, but for the time, this is how they spoke, and this is their thought system. So he's like, I'm going to try an experiment. So what he did is he cut all those Native Americans' hair, he put them in Western Army garb, and he forced them to learn English. And he kept them. They were prisoners of war. They couldn't leave. They couldn't do anything. But he did this over a period of time. And at some point, they could speak English, and they were acting like a white man. And so he went to the U.S. government, and he's like, hey, here is undeniable proof. These savages can be tamed. Let me set up a system, and I will educate the Native American. U.S. government is like, that is dope. We're going to fund this whole thing, and you're going to open up a school right now. So he opens up the Carlisle Indian Industrial School in Pennsylvania. And this becomes the staple, the standard of these Native American boarding schools. Real quick, guys, I just want to show you a couple photos. Uh, If young Kalima wants to pull them up, next one. So what's his name? Henry Pratt. He actually hired a professional photographer to come and take photos, propaganda photos of before and after. So he basically used this like pamphlets to prove how good his program was. So if you see on the left, it's three Native American boys. That's so wild. People would be falling for that too back then. Uh huh. People would like, be falling for propaganda now, dude. Mm-hmm. I know. But like, like obviously this wouldn't fly nowadays. I don't know. Like this is like early propaganda. Now it's like advanced propaganda. You throw this up on but Facebook, it, people are in. It's like all he did was give them new clothes and cut their hair. But like back then, that passed. Yeah, they were like magic. Yeah, like oh my gosh, you really changed. Wait, them. are you white on the right? Yeah. Oh my gosh, <laughs> the savagery is gone. Oh. Uh, next, and here's just another one. Whoa, yeah, that's sad to me, dude. Hella sad. It like it's right in your face, just like what they did, homie. Yeah. Also, like he's seven shades lighter. I know. I think they did some doctoring. Gotta be Photoshop. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, old school Photoshop. And then that next one, that's that's him. That's the man himself. So Dude, obviously, look at him. He's just a peak specimen of physical. This is what peak performance looks yeah, like, boys. Yeah, he's like, I want slubby shoulders, a rotund belly, a little little dad bod, weak ass chin. 
has to carry a sword to protect himself. (laughs) Sorry, I got salty. I'm salty too, dude. Looking at this dude. Is there any more photos? Um, I think there's another one from your other story. Uh, I don't know. There's four, right? Yeah. That one. There we go. Here's the school. That that's the all the little kids. This is not the one in Canada. Like pictures from that one, right? I think it might be. Let me see. And that's a plantation ass house. Yeah. No, I think wrap around. I think that's the one in Pennsylvania. This is the one in Canada. I didn't put that in yet. Uh, Oh, that one's indoor because it's Canada. Ah. You can't do things outdoor, bro. Dude, I was so surprised when I, sorry, anecdote. I was so surprised when I moved to Utah or no, no. Indoor yeah, schools? when I went to Utah and I saw indoor schools. It Me was the too, first bro. time I'd ever were your schools outdoors in North Carolina? No. Or Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, ours too. Like a building, like the like one grade building and then like you'd walk to the cafeteria outside. Yeah, exactly. So I don't bro, know. I never I went outside was... for school either. <laughs> Sounds like I didn't go to school kinda. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh yeah, that was wild. Anyway, some photos real quick. We'll throw those in. So I watched a video of this TikTok star. Her name is Tashina Tom. She's Native American. She grew up, and like many Native Americans today, she grew up feeling disconnected from her culture and her heritage. So throughout her life, she's done everything she can to learn Navajo, to learn the patterns and traditions, the oral tradition of her people. And she's made it her point to like share that on TikTok, to do teach people about the true history of the Native American and her tribe, the Navajo tribe. So she grew up in an area, I think of Arizona, known as Four Sacred Mountains. I don't know. Does that sound familiar at all? So she said on the Navajo, in the Navajo Nation and in the Navajo culture, at least for her, it's uh, rarely, if ever, are you supposed to leave your home. The attachment you have to your birthplace and your home is super strong. Navajos experience a certain level of protection by being in their home. They think it's like their shell, you know what I mean? So they have certain yeah, protections in place that keep them safe as long as they're there. She even said, I don't know if this is all Navajo people, but a piece of your umbilical cord when you're a baby is buried in your home. And that's to further solidify your connection truly to like your home and where you were born. So for Native Americans, connection to home and community is everything. It's your whole identity. It's everything. Now, on one side, the U.S. government is like, yo, we're doing this to help. And we have the best intentions. And we just want to help them um, slide right into American way of life. But then on another side, people are like, no, they were strategically trying to separate the Navajo people from their tradition and culture so that they could, like, take all of their land and get rid of them, essentially. She said many of the people who are a bit older than her grew up and they were told if you ever see a bus or a car on the Navajo Nation, you are to run to the mountains and hide. Because cars and buses and vans, not common on the Navajo Nation at that time. But in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, people were coming in, forcibly taking the kids, and most time they would never come back. She said... She believes this is where a ton of the Navajo culture was lost. And she named several things that like dances, art, and she said songs. And that stuck out to me. She's like, this is where the songs were lost. And it sticks out to me because in Navajo culture, um, they have songs for healing and things like that. 
and we talked about it last time, but Leah's grandpa knew like 12 songs, and now Shaman only know one or two. But this might be where a lot of it was lost. So going back to Henry Pratt, he shows the U.S. government, and this is like 1879, so this is a long time ago, shows the U.S. government, yo, this works, fund me. They're like, hell yeah. They open up a school, and he starts teaching the Native American children. He was known for his saying and his approach was kill the Indian, save the man. So it was 100% about like getting rid of everything Native American in them and you would truly save them. They would, you could turn them into like a human by doing that. So first thing, you were, they cut all their hair. You're not allowed to appear Native American. So they'd cut your hair. You couldn't wear any traditional clothing. You had to wear standard uniform issued. So boys showed up, their braids were cut off. Girls were showed up, no braids. They had to have like straight short hair. They had to get rid of any sign of tribal life. A lot of these kids were forcibly taken from the reservation. And they were, most times they were sent miles away from the reservation, if not across country. So they were truly away from their family. They were made to lose their names and they were given new white names. No native food was allowed. They had to eat government-issued food, American food, and they had to use utensils, which for many of them, it was like the first time that concept they'd ever come across. Over the years, it comes out, there is a ton of going on. So much mental, physical, sexual abuse. If they spoke in their native language, they were not allowed to speak in Navajo. So if you spoke a native language, they were oftentimes severely beaten or starved. A lot of these Native Americans, uh, I listened to this one guy, his name was Daniel, super old now, but he talks about he was sent to one of those schools when he was a kid. He said he showed up, he was six, couldn't understand what was happening. They threw him in a bus and took him to the school. He's like 3,000 miles away from his family, doesn't speak any English, has never seen a white man. And all of a sudden he's like, you have to speak English. He's like, it was a nightmare. It was a true nightmare. First thing he did, cut off his hair. He's with all these other kids. They're all confused. And he said it was a nightmare. Looking back, he was like, I am glad I learned English. It did help me out later in life, but, you know, at what cost? And it's like, so the Carlisle model works. So they say. Air quotes. Yeah. And because of this, they start building way more of these schools. And they created 350 of these schools across the nation. In 1900, there was 20,000 native kids in these schools. By 1925, there was over 60,000. So it tripled in just five years. Parents who refused to let their kids go to this faced incarceration. So if they fought it, they would take them to Alcatraz or like jails and just throw them into jail. No winning. Dude, no winning. In these schools and even at the, not, or at the reservation, a ton of these kids run away because it's utter hell. So they run away. And the school just says, sorry, we don't know where your kid is. And that's that. While this is happening, the amount of Native American land shrinks like two-thirds. So at one point, they had a pretty big chunk in the middle. No, okay, that's, that's rude. They had a much larger chunk than they do now in the middle. And while this is all happening, they're like, you know, super concerned about their kids. The government shrinks their land to like tiny little dots of like reservations in the middle of the country. At some point, 
a document comes out, I think in 1928, and it details all the conditions in the school. Probably not all of them, but enough to where they're like, okay, let's stop doing this. And the only boarding schools that can happen have to be like ran alongside the tribe. So not so much terrible, horrendous things are going on. Mm -hmm. Long story short, this program was terrible. A lot of kids died. A lot of kids were removed from their families, never to be seen again. Kids ran away. And it, it like completely broke a generation of the Native American people. Programs similar to this were ran in Australia. I witnessed it, like, or at least effects of it. it they were known as the lost generation, where they just went into Aboriginal families and, and communities, took the kids away from their parents and put them into white Australian homes to reeducate them. And same thing, not allowed to speak their language, completely disconnected from their home and who they were. Programs were run in Canada, all over the world, programs were run like this. My mom grew up, my mom was adopted. She's half Japanese, half Irish. And she was adopted by a white family in Utah. Same white family, every year would have two Native American boys come stay with them. And my grandparents ended up adopting three Native American children. So my mom grew up with the Navajos, you know what I mean? The two Navajo boys were Spencer and Larry. And every year they would come to Utah and stay with my grandparents while they went to these boarding schools. These schools, they weren't the boarding schools. They went to like a full on American high school, like with my mom. And she said they didn't experience too much like segregation or racism other than like what was pretty standard for like the seventies in Utah. But in living with them, she said she learned so much. They were amazing hoop dancers. And Larry was insanely exceptional. He was invited all over the country and stayed at some point to dance. So he had full regalia. And they were like the top hoop dancers at some point for the Navajo Nation. Um, my mom went and lived. I've, I've told this before. But my mom went and lived with them for a summer on the reservation. And so she went with Larry and his brother to the Navajo reservation and lived with Mama Joe, which was their mom. Mama Joe every year made my grandma a blanket or basket because she was so grateful for like how much fun her sons were having in their relationship. My, my grandparents would come down and visit with them and stuff like that. But, but when my mom was on the Navajo reservation, she said Spencer and Larry scared the shit out of her. And they would tell her terrifying stories the whole time about skinwalkers. And she would say at night they come and they torment us. And if you listen real close, the tap on the window or they scratch on the window and they like circle the house. And if you want to see them, all you have to do is look on the mesas and you can see their red eyes glowing, running across the mesas. I've heard that one before. Yeah. You've shared that. Uh-huh. Shared about how your mom is terrified of skinwalkers because of her somewhere on the res. Dude, to this day, she was like, nah, I'm not with it. <laughs> she, doesn't she like, she like refuses to like look yeah, she, at she, the mesas? Yeah, she's like driving at night and there's mesas. She yeah, averts her eyes, dude. She's not trying to see that. <laughs> all right. So what is all this? This comes to this, this story that is in the news. And I'll finish for patrons. I'm going to tell it on Patreon. <laughs> I thought he was Patreon. Nah. Psych. Got you. We tricked DJ. We've been doing it, bro. Oh, crazy. I told it I'd take. I'll tell them I'd do it this week. <laughs> anyway, so if you want to hear this crazy news story that just broke, and I'm going to cover it a little bit, go to patreon.com slash the 3M pod for eight quarters a month. Sorry if that's steep for a lot of you. If you're truly struggling, hit me up and I'll just send you a link, I guess. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I might take that out. And we're back. 
Dude, that was heavy. Y'all missed a heavy story. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy to talk about it, and I'm I'm glad to kind of spread the word, get some more awareness on it. It's real life scary. Shout bro. out to my Native Americans. Uh, I have always felt like one of my past lives, I was Native American. Now, I don't know if that's offensive to anyone, but it is simply how I feel and what I believe. There's not <laughs> one time I go camping and I don't think about like, what was the Native American life here? Like, would they have run along these paths? Would they have meet there? Would they have tribal council over here? You know what I'm saying? Like, every time I go camping, that's all I'm thinking about. So there's that. Wow. The end for me. I don't <laughs> think I've ever thought what I was in a, in a previous life. Really? Yeah, I don't think once. Besides now. <gasps> I'm trying to think. Open yourself up, bro. Uh, you tell me, what was I in a past life? A rat. Bitch. No. <laughs> I don't know, G. That's for you to find out. I went it's from true. here to here. Yeah, <laughs> you were looking to be built up, and you were brought down. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. You just got to feel it inside. Okay, that's true. I'll, I'll come back and report. I feel like I might have been a Polynesian in my past life. Hmm. That was a lot of past lives. He was like dying pretty quick, and you just coming back, dude. It is annoying when people talk about their past life, and they're like, "I was Cleopatra." It's like, <laughs> <laughs> why was every one of your past lives yeah. a famous person? Everyone can't like, be famous. Damn it. <laughs> But anyway, that's me tonight. I appreciate it, guys. Dope. My turn. DJ, turn it up. Hey. <laughs> pump, pump it up. Turn um, up. So, I <gasps> can't see. I'm continuing my story from last week. Uh, Christopher O'Brien, who did a lot of research. Uh, yeah. Wrote some books on uh, Native Americans and uh, skinwalkers. And this specific book that he paraphrases in this article is called Stalking the Tricksters. So this is part two of that. Quick recap. Christopher O'Brien studies uh, a few different uh, Native American tribes within his area, which is south central Colorado and uh, north central New Mexico. Close to four corners. Last episode, I talked about his uh, findings with uh, the Pueblo and Dine uh, Native Americans. So we're going to continue on with that. The next part that I was reading was pretty validating. Everything that he listed lined up with what uh, Leah taught us. And I hold Leah as like the gold standard (laughs) for anything Native American or at least Navajo and Skinwalker. Um, and some of those things were just to name a few, the identity of a skinwalker. So if you know the identity of one, you kill them, they die. Uh, he listed that. And I remember that was the first time I had ever heard of that, Mm -hmm. you know, when Leah introduced that, he talked about how skinwalkers, if they're seen and they feel like they were almost too seen, try to hunt you down uh, because you might know their identity yeah or they'll have you know more potential to find out their identity mm. in the future um, to kind of save themselves corpse powder he mm. talked about oh yeah which that's Leah, what we we're talking about hiding bodies right yeah yeah he said uh, they would use corpse powder uh, one interesting thing is uh, he found with uh, some of the skinwalkers is they would blow it into your face. First of all, gross. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. Uh, second of all, 
one of the effects is it would turn your tongue black. You would be unable to speak and then breathe, and then you would die. Holy well, that's what happens when you get Charles' past life blown at you. <laughs> Don't make me, bro. <laughs> um, and then using not only bones, but spit, hair, urine, fecal matter, anything from the body to either track you down, possess you, make some type of link and harm you like voodoo. But he listed all these things. I was like, okay, I feel like this guy really did his research. It's validating. Leah said so. So I, got, I, I feel like I believe this guy. Gospel. Facts. Yeah. So um, he talks about how while I was uh, pursuing these studies, speaking to all these local natives about skinwalkers and learning, over the years, once in a while, I would uh, I would come across similarities and cultures from over the ocean. He said, I learned about the Australian version of the skinwalker. And I had never heard about this. This is so wild. Uh, I tried to look up how to pronounce this. I couldn't find anything. K-A-D-A-I-C-H-A. Kadaicha. The Kadaicha man was more of like a benevolent skinwalker. They would play both shaman and executioner. The Kadaicha man uh, was responsible for dealing harshly with those in the, the tribal society who broke taboo. So they could also, uh, w- with their powers, uh, a big similarity is they could shapeshift, usually into in Australia, dingo. dingoes. Oh, dingo. Yeah, yeah. They would, uh, they would um, shapeshift into dingoes or birds. Those jack kangaroos. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> shit. And uh, now that's a kadaicha. That's how. That's how they uh, would conceal themselves, travel, and uh, one superpower they had. And like I, uh, in the last episode, uh, Christopher here lists a bunch of like, kind of like a. It's a dichotomy of like superpowers from like different tribes. Venn diagram? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, one of the superpowers of the Kadaicha man was somebody would break taboo and he would hunt them down. And the way, the way he hunts them down sounds so efficient. He would find himself a kangaroo bone. He'd infuse it with magic and the bone would shoot off find the person and puncture them in their heart. Oh. So like a long range, like heat seeking bullet, dude. (laughs) (laughs) So crazy. Um, (laughs) This was, uh, there were a couple others, which I'll share later, kind of like skinwalker crossovers from other countries, Hmm. um, which I've never heard of. I've never heard of the Kataicha man. And that was really fascinating to me. Um, Last time I talked about the Dine Native Americans, which were Navajo and Pueblo. No, Navajo and I think like Blackfoot. Apache. Apache. There you go. Gotcha. Apache and Navajo. Um, one one more note that he has. Um, give me a sec. So speaking about the Dine Native Americans, which were Navajo and Apache, Christopher wrote. 
Skinwalkers are witches that are in contact with ghosts, can supposedly cast spells on people, and as a result of this belief, DNA tradition forbids physical contact with a dead person for fear of attracting their ghost or leaving oneself open to skinwalker magic. Mm -hmm. The Navajo superstitions involving death as such that if a person dies in a hogan, the dwelling generally is purified and then abandoned. Yo! So, when you mentioned shout out my that mom. with your mom, it, like, lined up perfectly. Hell yeah. Crazy. So, so, I'm glad you brought that up. Did I share that in the bonus? Yeah, that was in the bonus. So, if you didn't hear the bonus, my mom went and stayed on a Native American reservation when she was 11 with her two cousins, Spencer and... It was something really white. Just two cousins? Spencer and Larry. Larry, yep. Uh, But when she went there, she said someone had died in their home before she got there. So they are super superstitious, and no one was allowed to go in the house for 12 months. That's wild. But that's crazy. They're just camping for 12 months. I have heard. It's not just Native American. There's a ton of different cultures who truly believe, like, you should never handle death. And if there's anything dead and stuff, it has like a specific juju about it or power about it. So you should be like not blase about that goes any dead animals. Directly against our post on Instagram today. <laughs> Realtor says 22 deaths happened here. White families in horror movies just we're moving in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> without breath. So <laughs> Okay. So around this time that Christopher was learning these things, he had moved into a house in the middle of nowhere and he talked about how much he loved it so the house was it sounded century like almost like a guard house hmm. like a guard shack um but two levels uh it overlooked like the whole valley he didn't have any neighbors for at least like a quarter mile um he really enjoyed the space but it was in this house that he had his first encounter with a skinwalker or what he believes was a skinwalker. So one evening, the sun was setting, and he watched in the shadows as a six-foot-tall bipedal man with antlers was running through the desert. Big nope. He broke his line of sight. When he looked back, it was gone. I'm not sure if it was that same evening or sometime after that. But while on the second floor of his house at night, while in his house, he had somebody knocking on all sides of the walls in a counterclockwise um, fashion, going around and around a singular knock. And then it sounded like running. As if they were running on the wall. And the craziest uh, part is that he was on the second floor of his house. I don't like that. So he sat there and he listened to this thing. Because we've heard about skinwalkers circling the house. Mm-hmm. Dude, these things can run on the walls, all Matrix, like on the second floor. Uh, he gets out of his house, takes a gun, flashlight, points it up at the house, walks all around, checks his surroundings. Nothing. That was kind of the peak, I think, of his experience with uh, skinwalkers personally. During this time, he received a, or some, during this time, somebody reached out to him. 
a reporter by the name of Zach Van Eck from Deseret News. Oh, what? shit. And this was in 1997. Deseret, is, Deseret News is a Utah-based um, news outlet. <laughs> but Zach reaches out to him and says, I'm a big fan of your work. I guess at this time, Christopher was already pretty established in uh, his line. And Zach says, I'm reaching out to you because I have something that I think you'd be very interested in. Christopher's attention is piqued. Zach says, have you ever heard of Sherman Ranch? He says, I have not. He says, Sherman Ranch is a cattle ranch here in Utah. That is a hotbed for paranormal activity and is no longer home to, but used to be home to a lot of the Ute Native Americans, which is one of the groups that he studied. And this is where they come into play. So we went from Pueblo to Diné to Ute, which is where we are now. So Zach uh, shares all the accounts that happens on Sherman Ranch. And Christopher clears his schedule and says, I'm coming up. And we're it's gonna, that important. Yeah, it's, it's that special to him. He wants to see it for his own eyes. And apparently uh, they want him to come. They want his input. So he arrives there. And the owner of the ranch, Terry, Terry Sherman. Terry's a young guy, wife, kids. Uh, really, it seemed really grateful that, uh, that Christopher was there, excited. But Christopher could tell that Terry was pretty worried. He had like a worried and tired look on his face. So they get there. It sounds like it's the dead of summer. It's 104 degrees in the desert. Terry says, let's go sit in the shade. I can tell you. I can tell you everything. One of the things that Zach told Christopher was that some of the paranormal activity included aliens and UFOs. And that Terry had a video of a UFO that this came is in to, the 90s? Came, yeah, 96. <laughs> a UFO that came to his ranch. So going there, Christopher really wanted to see this video, but he wasn't planning on asking, just out of respect. Uh, but, you know, like us, we kind of weasel our way through when we Rabbi, talk to people trying, me the video, trying right? to get stories, you know, <laughs> from other people. Um, Unfortunately, he didn't show him the video, but while they're talking, he does bring it up. He says, let me, let me show you where it happened. So they head out to the place where the, he saw the UFO. And there's a bunch of cottonwood trees, about 40 feet tall. And... Every single top of this cottonwood uh, of these cottonwood trees were sheared off straight, almost like somebody got like hedge cutters and just cut them. But these are huge trees. Could have been the wind. He said, "This is this is <laughs> this is where the UFO flew down low and hit all of these trees. Took him further into the land to where the UFO landed, which he didn't. He he never approached." after it left, he approached that area and these huge triangular uh, imprints in the dirt 
almost like uh like like land not landing pad but landing gear landing yeah. gear i guess from the ufo so christopher is i guess taking it with a grain of salt uh furiously jot, jotting down a bunch of notes every time uh zach is sharing any of these stories uh christopher said he volunteered everything it was like he really needed someone to talk to that didn't think he was crazy then he asked me if i knew anyone that would buy the ranch and study what was going on there i said yeah i know somebody robert bigelow do you know him well i know his name yeah yeah who is he because isn't this skinwalker ranch this is skinwalker ranch robert bigelow is the current owner of skinwalker ranch which was formerly sherman ranch so christopher was the connection that's so crazy. To Skinwalker Ranch today. Hmm. Insane. Uh, I thought that was a really special piece. That is. Yeah. My mom, uh, balls deep in Skinwalker Ranch. Like uh, The show? Yeah. <laughs> I have yet to see that. Me too. Same. I feel like it's a lot to take on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we tried to watch Hunt for Skinwalkers and made it like 10 minutes. Bro. Yeah. That movie was freaking dog, they do. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so not much, not much else happened, uh, while they were out there in skin, uh, at the time Sherman ranch, Christopher comes home from his trip, has a lot of good information, uh, relays some of it to his friend, David Perkins. David Perkins is some Harvard nerd who's, who researches a lot of this stuff too. Wrote a, uh, wrote a few books. Disrespect <laughs> his name, dude. Some um, Harvard nerd. David Perkins ends up reaching out to Terry, Terry Sherman, uh, for an interview. And this interview was published, and it was the last in-depth public, publicly published article on the happenings of Skinwalker Ranch before... Bigelow shut him down, made him sign NDAs when Bigelow bought the property. Um, so this is like the last known like in-depth review mm. of what was going on. Mm. And it's an article you should look up. I think it's really interesting. The article is called The Ranch from Hell by David Perkins. And in this article, they list the craziest things that Terry experienced while living there. And I'm just going to list them. <laughs> Bulletproof wolves. The first one was a UFO. He talks about silent glowing object above the trees. Mm -hmm. He said one of the first weird things was we found one dead cow. Except they found a second one the next day. And in both cases, the cows had a hole in their left eye. That's weird. He got a wire and he stuck it in the eye to gauge how deep it went. And in both cases, the wire went all the way to the brain. Uh. Super gross. What would do that? How? When? Aliens. I'm guessing, of course. We don't know. Getting to what you just said. He said, one night I walked out of my house 
and one of our cows were being attacked. As I approached the cow to try and rescue it, I realized it was a five to six foot tall wolf. The closest thing I had to attack it with was a bat. I smashed this wolf as hard as I could with my bat, and it did not let go of the cow. I ran back into the house. All the while, the wolf is still going ham on this thing. I grabbed my shotgun, and I hit it four times. After the fourth shot, it let go, and it ran away as if it had never been shot. He's like, man, these things tickle. I'm out of here. <laughs> Talking to the natives, the native Ute Indians in the area, they talked about how this ranch is on the path of the skinwalkers. The local Ute Indians said that there are actually tribal songs about the spirits and spooks of the ranch area that went back 10 generations. So he, he had validation from, you know, the people who were of that, that land. Um, it doesn't stop there. One of his sons uh, was working on the ranch and one of their most docile cows uh, we're just feeding. Went inside, came back out five minutes later, and the cow was dead and deformed. He found the cow with a six-inch wide hole that was eight inches deep in its rectum. Oh, its rectum shit. was cored out. Are you seeing Oh, okay. A gaping Angus. <laughs> I used to use this. Uh, I used to use this fancy little tool to completely pull the fruit out of a pineapple, like the core out of an yeah. ass pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> do, do, not, do not make that sound. That's ever all again. I see, bro. Um, Guys, that one was me. Uh, hold up, just, six inches, eight inches. <laughs> that was me. Um. He learned a little more history about uh, the Utes. And the Utes were known as a warfaring Indian tribe. Fierce. And history tells that the Utes kidnapped a lot of Navajos and sold them into slavery. And did that on Ute land. Like brought them back to their own homeland and sold them, I guess, to other Utes. or Maybe even to other Indian tribes as slaves. And speaking to one of the youths in the area that he had uh, grown close with, it was his personal opinion that the Navajos had cursed the youths and their land because of their atrocities, kidnapping and selling their people into slavery. And skinwalkers are usually a Navajo thing. So all of the skinwalker activity there, this you Indian said, I, I, I believe it's because of what we did to them. Mm. You know? mm. So I found that really interesting. Uh, there's a place near Skinwalker Ranch called Dark Canyon. 
And don't go there. <laughs> uh, we need to go there. Content. Allegedly, Dark Canyon is where the skinwalkers of Skinwalker Ranch live. They do all their shenanigans in the ranch and then they retreat into Dark Canyon. So to get to Dark Canyon, I think it's within like Ute territory and nobody can go there at any time willy-nilly. You got to get permission. You have to get permission. So Christopher wrote to... Who do we talk to? You're saying there's a chance. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Christopher wrote to some some Ute elders to see if he could... uh, Go and visit. Unfortunately, they got he he was denied. Nah, homie. But uh, he he heard a lot of stories about Dark Canyon and how they took residents there, they hid there, uh, people were taken there or v- tried to visit there themselves and never came back. So that all added to the lore of the area of Skinwalker Ranch. So Christopher further wrote. Skinwalker sightings among the Utes are not uncommon. We were told of another encounter with two shapeshifters uh, near Gorman Ranch. Not sure where that is. He said it's it's close to Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, The figures he described are so unusual, so far outside our own concept of reality as to be almost comical, like something out of a Saturday morning cartoon. One local who saw them in the road in Fort Duchesne Describe them as humans with dog heads smoking cigarettes. For him and many other Native Americans, skinwalkers are as real as the morning sun or the evening moon. They are part of everyday life, and they most certainly are integral to the story of Skinwalker Ranch. So, I had never heard them depicted as that, but through Christopher's studies, I've never heard of a lot of like these different, like how there's different skinwalkers from different tribes, and they have different powers, and... um one purpose to to harm or to create fear mm. and discord. So earlier I talked about uh, similarities all over the world or sim- similarities from different places in the world. Uh, with skinwalkers, we had the Australian example of Kadaicha man. Uh, Chris was on a road trip with David Hatcher Childress. My grandpa. Yep. Uh, no, David Hatcher uh, Childress has written a bunch of books uh, on a bunch of paranormal stuff. His most, I think, his most famous one is called "The Technology of the Gods." Um, but he was on a road trip with this dude, and David tells Chris when they're talking about skinwalkers that there's African versions of skinwalkers. I think we've talked about that once. Mm-hmm. But David said, I was, I was coming up to the Serengeti. I'd been working in the Sudan and then traveled through war-torn Uganda with my Swedish girlfriend. We came around from the Ugandan side of Lake Victoria into Tanzania. And one night, I was sitting in one of the small restaurants. And a guy told me a strange story. In a town nearby, a little village, there was a butcher shop. And they hung meat there overnight at a place in the market that was kind of protected. Something was coming and stealing the meat and taking it. So they began to watch over the slaughtered meat there at night to see who was stealing it. They found that a hyena was coming to the village, to the meat shop, and taking the meat. He'd come in every few days or so. So now that they knew what was happening, they decided to set a trap for this hyena. Some nights later, 
The hyena showed up and they killed it. Then about a week later, a woman came into the village and she said that the people in the village would have to now give her meat every week. They'd have to send her the meat. They asked her why, and she said, because he killed my son, who was the hyena. The hyena was some kind of a skinwalker, a changeling. He was changing into the hyena. The people were afraid, so they sent her some meat every week in order to pay for the killing of her son. Why didn't they Whether just kill that was, her? <laughs> whether that was just a clever heist <laughs> um, or just an elaborate lie by, by the mother, they believed her. Like it was within the culture, like it was almost like with the Native Americans, it was normal that, oh yeah, a shape-shifting humanoid dog, you know, is terrorizing us and we have to appease it. So I found that really interesting that these similarities exist, you know, oceans apart. In conclusion, Christopher Christopher uh, just asked a few questions saying, you know, through all of this, I've asked multiple times, are skinwalkers kind of like the umbrella explanation for a lot of paranormal happenings? Mind control trickery are they capable of conjuring nightmares or visions of bigfoot or ufos uh christopher's at the end says it's so important that we go to the source if you're lucky enough the natives will tell you about about skinwalkers and teach you said and if you are even more lucky or maybe in some cases unlucky uh you'll be shown skinwalkers and that is my story with Christopher and his findings and uh, stalking the tricksters. Um, real quick, uh, he calls it stalking the tricksters because at the beginning of his book, he talks about an ancient history before Christ's times. There are vague and few stories about shapeshifters that caused mischief and even fear, and were the cause of bad luck, death. I mean, if you want to look and at the story of Adam and Eve, like literally. It was a shapeshifter. I don't know. Appearing as a, a snake. Bro, skinwalkers since day one. But, but in, that, in those texts, those ancient texts that he, he found, a lot of them are called tricksters. And he said, mm. essentially, skinwalkers are, are the same. I think there's a crossover with Jin being referred to as tricksters as well. Yeah. And very similarly, Jin or genie was a term that might be an umbrella for like so many different things. Yeah. Like it all falls under Jin. But dude, crazy. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you at that. No, 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 that's it. I loved hearing uh just a bunch of new things. Yeah. Going to the source. I do think that's important. And we may or may not have a hidden, uh, maybe secret things. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to wait and find out. Sus, bro. But that was fun. Thanks, my dude. Yeah, dude. Uh, the experiences. Uh, go and read that article, um, The Ranch from Hell. Yeah, I kind of want to look at that. Yeah. So we'll have a link in our show notes if you want to look at it. Yeah. Uh, 
Did I tell you my grandparents grew up in Vernal, Utah? Mm-hmm. Do you know what's right by Vernal, Utah? Skinwalker Ranch. Skinwalker Ranch. Unfortunately, both my grandparents passed, but... Is it because they were close to Skinwalker Ranch? Who knows? And I've always... Er, Learning that later on, I wish I would have asked them if they had any stories. Because my grandma, her family was sheep herders. So they spent like half the year up she in the mountains stories. near Skinwalker Ranch. There's got to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Kalima, your wife. Yeah, she's from Roosevelt. Roosevelt is like the neighboring town to Duchesne, Ooh, which Duchesne. is like the last town before Skinwalker yeah, Ranch. Yeah. She doesn't have a ton of stories but her brothers would always sneak out there (laughs) i think her older brother might have stories yeah alien stories and stuff i'll have to ask him so you have homework yeah i do (laughs) i guess it's like a three-hour drive though so call him up and ask him it's out there bro i'm all about those field trips if you know what i'm saying i uh, you're dead dude I know, I'm terrified. Miranda just said she's going to Vernal this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, luckily, bad things don't really happen unless you're thinking about it, you're afraid of it, or if you talk about it. Cool. (laughs) So don't be afraid. So shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Bullies. Kind of a note on what you were saying earlier, DJ. My grandma from Hawaii would tell us to like burn or make sure you know where your fingernails go. Bro, I was going to bring that up, but I was really close with this Maori dude from New Zealand and he cut his nails or cut his hair. He would spend a meticulous amount of time collecting every single one and making sure he destroyed it. Yeah, weird. I asked him why and he said it's because if people get a hold of it, they can curse him. Yeah. And if white man knows how to curse, their curses are particularly strong. Bro, my curses are strong, yeah. bro. So if you like tap back into your, like, I don't know, Viking ass shit. Bro, I've been listening to the music. I'm already in. I'm already in it, bro. You might have Y'all some level 10 curses. Careful. Uh, Christopher talked about how uh, the Navajo, he, he spent some time with some Navajos and he watched as if they ever like took a piss outside in the dirt, they would kick more dirt on top of it. And he asked them about it finally. They're like, we want to contaminate it more so the substance isn't as pure for skinwalkers. Mm. Like, it was just normal for them to. Bro, I just be leaving my like shit that. everywhere, <laughs> yeah. dog. I cut my nails literally outside and like blow it in the wind and shit. <laughs> I piss everywhere. Public pools. I don't know, dude. I'm screwed. That's probably, I'm probably cursed right now. Damn, dude. That's why I be having a hard time in life. <laughs> anyway. That's that. Thanks, G. That was a good one. I actually really like that. I From love last hearing. week, too. Mm-hmm. Like the actual history behind it. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's good. Fascinating. Almost like when we try, it's good, you know? <laughs> <laughs> nah. Thanks, dude. Yeah. Uh, Sean, you up? That's me. I'm going to close this out tonight, guys. I really appreciate both of your stories, though. They were enlightening. We learned a lot. And we're moving on to something that's not going to help us learn. Um, I've been talking with this uh, person from Reddit, username Yeesh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to share their story today. Yurt. So uh, <laughs> this is actually not her personal story. It was uh, given down from her grandpa originally. 
And her grandpa just recently passed away. And that's why she posted this story up on The Truth Is Here. Her grandpa died in 2020 at the age of 96. And she wanted to kind of just describe his personality a little bit as well. And he's kind of a straightforward, old-fashioned, blunt, kind of bitter, little racist, she said. Slightly abusive. Who isn't? At the, at what the time. What grandparent isn't, yeah. Yeah, I know. At the time, your typical macho man, in her words. Um, she mentioned he also had lots of secrets from the family, apparently, as well. So a lot of things he just didn't share. He was kind of this stoic, if you will. And in addition, he was not religious at all. He believed that faith and hope were stupid. <laughs> That's so, stupid. <laughs> I can just, like envision this conversation happening too. Okay. Now the story happened though in the early to mid seventies. Um, and this is just from what she can tell based on the time period of when the story seemed to be told because of her mother and aunts all in the story's age. She says one day her grandpa, whose name is John takes the family uh, out on an outing to have a picnic and just some enjoy some time in nature and she didn't mention where they lived, but she did mention that they lived in a place where they were surrounded by forests everywhere, and it was very common for them to just go explore the woods. So this was a day just like any other, going on a family outing, go explore the forest. So they head out into the woods on this backcountry dirt road, and they keep going for a while until they come to this opening in the forest. And so they're like, hey, this seems like a great place. We're going to stop here and have her picnic. So they start piling out of the van. It's her grandmother, her grandpa John, her mom, and her mom's three sisters, so her three aunts. The girls jump out of the car and start running around after, you know, having been cramped up in this car all the way up this dirt road. Um, grandma starts unloading the picnic things, starting to set things out. John starts surveying the area, just kind of checking around and it's thick forest too. So you have like this opening that is next to the road, but the forest trees are so closely packed together that it almost creates this like wall that you can't really see very far into something though catches John's eye back in the woods as he's walking around this this opening, or sorry, as he's walking around this uh, clearing, John yells back to her grandmother and says, he'll be right back. And he heads off into the woods. She didn't really think that her grandma really didn't think much of it because, like she said, this is a common occurrence for them to go out into the forest, uh, explore, and John was very... Uh, knowledgeable in those types of things. Like he was very outdoorsy and woodsy. So he heads off into the woods. Grandma continues unpacking things, setting out the picnic stuff. And then one of the girls points to something out in the clearing and says, what's that? And as they all look over to this area that she's pointing in the clearing, they see a dirt mound in this clearing and at this point, like their general playful atmosphere kind of becomes a little tense 
as they're looking at this dirt mound off in the clearing, they can tell that it's about the size of a small person. Like there's something buried under it. And it looks to be fresh because the dirt is slightly darker than the surrounding area. And then on this dirt mound are river rocks. And she said they weren't put in any apparent design, but they were definitely deliberately placed on this mound. Her grandmother apparently felt pretty uneasy about this mound and tells the girls just to stay away from it. She continues to unpack, setting out their picnic, trying to just bring back this joyful atmosphere that they were just currently having and ignore the possible grave. I'm just going to put it out there. Ignore the possible grave. Now, the girls just kind of end up forgetting about it. They're all young at this point. They're, it sounds like age four to like eight in that age range. So they're running around playing and they forget about it. Then after a little bit, a couple minutes, one of the girls noticed something else. And she points to something in the trees. And she's kind of like pointing up. Grandma stops in her tracks and looks up into the trees. And high up in, on one of the long branches is a noose. Now she's thinking to herself, Grandma, she's thinking to herself, the mound could be explained. It could just be natural causes. The noose is not. Did this take place in the south? I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. But Grandma, at this point is freaking out and this whole like atmosphere of enjoyment that she's trying to curate for the girls is gone. Everything is, everyone is just starting to get anxious. Grandma wants to leave, but they can't. John's still in the woods somewhere. At this point, as they're all looking up into the trees, looking at this noose hanging there for whatever reason, they start to hear something from deep within the woods. And grandma described it as this deep, rhythmic chant following the beat of a low drum. And it was a steady three beats and then a pause. It's like a bump, 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 bump. And it, as they continued to listen and kind of like, they kind of gathered together and listening to this, this chanting and drum beat, it appeared to be from deep within the woods, but it was getting louder and it appeared to be getting closer to the point where it gets to a fever pitch sounding like the very trees around them are what's making this sound. They're all freaking out. They have no idea where John is. They want to leave, but they're frozen with fear. Suddenly a sound breaks through the forest shroud and it's a yelling John's voice comes through the forest, screaming at them, Go! Get to the car! And they start freaking out. They run back and start piling things into the car, and they see John exit the wood, running. And she described her grandpa as someone who was unafraid of anything and, in general, would not show any emotion. And at this point, there was terror on his face. 
and she said it was the most emotion they had ever seen on his face. As he's yelling at them to get in the car, he reaches the car and without thinking about where anything's going to go, they throw stuff into the back. There's food and drink all over the back and all the girls jump in the car. As they all pile in, they peel out of this clearing back down the dirt road to safety. And that's the main part of the story. She said that throughout the rest of grandpa's life, before he passed away, if anyone ever brought up the story, he would instantly shut them down. And he would tell them never to ask him about it again. And for most of the people in her family, she said it was just a fun, spooky story that they ended up telling to kids around the holidays and family gatherings. But to her, it was always intriguing. And she never got to ask him about it before he passed away. And he ended up taking whatever he saw in the wood to his grave. And that's her story that she wanted to share about her grandpa. <sighs> and I'm sorry, that's the biggest blue ball. That is big blue ball moment. <laughs> to give you guys the way that I was envisioning this story to try and like put myself in their shoes. Imagine that I'm running out of the forest with an actual terrified look on my face telling you to get in the car. Yeah. Okay. I would be concerned if Sean were freaked out. I'd be like, bro, we are past. We're so. Yeah. And that's kind of how I'm like thinking like they're hearing the sound. They're starting to get freaked out. And I don't know what he saw back there in that forest, but whatever it was terrified this typically unemotional person. So we have a small grave of a child or small person, river rocks in a weird manner, just deliberately in the tree, and drums. And drums. Dude, what is going on? I have no idea. But whatever it is that's to be in that situation, terrifying. Mm. And unfortunately, we will never know. Never say never, bro. <laughs> never say never. This is going to be one of my first things I ask whenever I die. I'd be like, yo, what the f- happened? I just had a recovered memory. Hmm. I used to wait at the entrance of my neighborhood for the bus for school. Uh-huh. And a lot of the times you had probably 15 minutes to just wait for the bus. So, you know, I did a lot of random things. I would put snails in the same spot. And the bus would run it over. And after <laughs> and after like two weeks, the bus would be like, it would get to the spot and be like, boom, boom. Because it was on like four inches of dead snails. I don't know why. I just did. Okay. Serial killer, bro. <laughs> but I also built a hotel for snails and gave them all the luxuries. So it's like, I don't know. I had a weird, is like, weird relationship with I snails. I give and I take away. Yeah, I, I was God. So I was learning power. That's so funny. But one The buses time, were uh, escargot. <laughs> 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 that was funny. But one time, uh, like where we stood in line, across the street, there was a ton of trees. And so a lot of times we'd like play tag or run around. And I remember running around the trees one time and for no real reason, maybe I just wanted to see if I could climb it. I look up into the tree and about nine feet off the ground, there is a branch that turns into a Y. Like it splits into two and laying across the split near the trunk of the tree is a huge kitchen knife. What the hell, dude? 
And I remember seeing it. I remember telling a friend and just being like, what? Why is that there? Like thinking back, truly, why was that knife up in that tree? Because either someone had to climb and set it down or they were throwing a knife up and it got stuck. I mean, like, one is either irresponsible, the other is deliberate and scary. And weird. And weird. Like, why is there a kitchen knife up in a tree? Somebody's finna jump on some fools. But just when you said they looked up in the tree and saw the noose, it all, like, came flooding when back. When I was to reading me. the story, too, like, I was thinking about you going in that nature park next to uh, your house, like, <sighs> seeing random stuff like the video <gasps> you posted the other day. I have an update. Bro, update. I So my sister was in town. Heather and Maddie were both in town. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yo, y'all want to go out there and like see the place where I see all the weird stuff? And they're like, sure. So I took them out there. And then I took them to that cross. First of all, someone messaged us. I believe it was Dan, actually. Utah Dan. Okay. And he said, that is a medicine wheel or healing wheel. And in Native American culture, I looked it up, but I didn't really read into it. It didn't. Okay. It could be that. And I don't know. Anyway, I took them out there. And if you remember the photo I posted, there's a huge cross of two logs within a circle right and then a circle of the these big branches last time i went out there the circle was completely gone and all the rocks that were like around were completely gone so it was just the cross yeah so someone had been out there right after i talked about it and got rid of like half of it and that's what i'm saying dude it feels weird bro someone's just f***ing with you i know it's odd but i don't know hmm well, that's my story for tonight. <laughs> Thank you, yeesh, for the story. <laughs> I'm upset. I am a little upset that we don't find out what it is, but sometimes, sometimes it'd be it, like that. Yeah, there's mystery still out there. Awesome. Guys, we had a real Native American theme tonight, and I'm not mad about it. Kind of true, dude. I'm happy. I'm happy, too. I'm happy, too. <laughs> Young Kalima, how you feeling? I'm good, bro. Nice. Thanks everyone for tuning in this week. Uh, we're close. Episode five 100. more episodes until episode 100. So mark it on your calendars. Big things to come. Yep. Um, until next time, trust your gut and watch your back. Bye. Love you. Be safe. Be careful out there. Bye. Hey, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of 3AM. If you want to support us, visit our Patreon where patrons have access to exclusive content. If you're not able to support us monetarily, don't worry. This episode is on us. You can still rate and review us on whatever platform you listen to us on. It really does go a long way. You can also follow us on social media. Our handle everywhere, including Patreon, is the 3AM pod. Finally, do you have any scary stories? If so... Submit them to our website, the3ampodcast.com. We love any audio or visual aids that can help bring your stories to life. So file uploads are welcome with your written submissions. We're anxious and excited to hear from you. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. 
purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. 24 hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. <laughs> 